Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Acts, chapter 19, and verse 35. Acts 19, 35, for our message from the Word of God this morning. If you're using the church Bible, Acts 19.35 will be found on page 11.76. But in everybody's Bible, it's one of the first books of the New Testament. You got your Matthew, you got your Mark, and your Luke and John, <laughs> then the book of Acts and the 19th chapter. Today's date is March 19th, 2023. Today's text will begin in Acts 19.35 and then go on down through the end of the chapter in verse 41. And the title of this morning's message is The Town Clerk Comes to the Rescue. Town clerk comes to the rescue. And we begin with the story of a biker gang who were riding along the highway one day when they noticed a young lady who was about to jump off a bridge, the overpass. So they stopped to try to rescue her. Their leader could see that the police were about to arrive. So to buy some time, he said to her, Hey, honey, how about a kiss? One last kiss before you jump. Well, she gave him a kiss for the ages. I mean, by the time she was done, his biker buddies were standing and cheering. So the leader said to her, That was the best kiss I've ever had. Why would you want to jump off a bridge? And she said, My parents don't like me dressing up like a girl. Well, speaking of needing to be rescued, here in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul is in a very dangerous situation in the city of Ephesus. In our scripture reading this morning, we saw that an angry mob had caught two of Paul's co-workers, Gaius and Aristarchus, and hauled them into the outdoor theater in Ephesus and seemed to be on the verge of killing those two and Paul if they could find him too. But the town clerk of the city of Ephesus, Ephesus, <laughs> is about to come to their rescue. And the story begins in verse 35, where we read these words. And when the town clerk had 
appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. Now to begin with, we don't know exactly what a, a town clerk was in those days, but he was obviously some kind of city official who'd been watching this dangerous situation unfold. And city officials are in charge of maintaining law and order and keeping the peace. It's their job to keep their cool when everybody else is losing theirs. So, verse 35 says the first thing that this town clerk here did was appease the people. And my dictionary says that the word appease means to calm somebody down. And that's the way it's used in Proverbs 15.18, your first cross-reference, where Solomon wrote, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. By being slow to anger, you can appease strife in your life and calm it down before it gets out of hand during the times when you find yourself in situations like this. So, when it says the town clerk appeased the Ephesians, it might mean that he just stood there calmly in the middle of the arena and waved his hands down like this. And then, seeing that he was a city official, they, they did calm down, at least enough to listen to what he had to say. But, my dictionary also gives another definition of the word appease. One that's a little closer to the one I learned about in school, when they taught me about what happened when Hitler wanted to take over the parts of Czechoslovakia, I can't say that word, Czechoslovakia, that were bordering Germany. And all the other nations appeased him by giving him what he wanted, hoping that that would satisfy him enough to where he wouldn't want to take over the rest of the world. And that word appease is used uh, in that way in the Bible, too. In your next reference, back when Jacob was afraid that his brother Esau was going to kill him, he said in Genesis 32.20, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward, I will see his face. 
peradventure this appeasement will make it so that he will accept me instead of killing me. <laughs> now, if you know the story there, you know that Jacob gave his brother some of his flocks and his herds as a gift to appease him, hoping that that would satisfy him enough to where he didn't want to kill him anymore. And I can't prove it, but I think that's how this town clerk appeased this, this murderous mob here. They wanted to kill Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus. So I think the town clerk appeased them by beating Gaius and Astarchus, Aristarchus, hoping that that would satisfy them enough to where they didn't want to kill Paul and those guys. All we know for sure is that they did calm down enough to listen to him. But before we talk about what he said, let's review what that angry mob was so angry about for the sake of those listening to the recording who weren't here during Sunday during our scripture reading this morning. Look back at verse 23 where it says that at the same time there arose a great big stir about that way. <laughs> For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain to the craftsmen, whom he called together for a union meeting with the workmen of like occupation, the coppersmiths and stuff. And he said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul, this Paul guy has persuaded and turned away much people, saying they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be said at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana will be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Those craftsmen in Ephesus had gotten filthy rich selling silver shrines to this, to this false goddess Diana. And then Paul's going around out there telling people that they're be no such thing as gods made with hands like Diana. And they were worried about two things. First, that people would stop buying their silver shrines. And they were worried that people would stop coming to Ephesus to worship at Diana's temple. So, back in verse 35, the town clerk reminded them that that wasn't likely to happen because they had something else that all Asia and the world worshipped. They had what he called an image that fell down from Jupiter. <laughs> now, evidently, a meteor had, let's see, a meteor, it, it, it's a meteorite when it lands, right? It's a meteor till it lands. A meteorite had crash-landed in Ephesus. 
And they decided to claim that it fell down from the planet Jupiter. And you say, well, why would they want to claim that? Well, don't forget what you learned about the planet Jupiter in school. Jupiter is the largest of the planets. If you know where to look, you can actually look up in the night sky and see it with the naked eye. You don't need a telescope. So, if you see a rock streaking down from the sky and it lands in your city, you're not going to say it fell from Pluto, which is the the smallest of the planets. You're going to want to capitalize on this windfall (laughs) by saying it fell from Jupiter. Kind of, I like the people in Roswell, New Mexico did when aliens crash landed there, right? They decided they would get prestige from that, and they did. And there was another reason that they claimed their rock was from Jupiter. Jupiter was also the name of one of the Roman gods, right? And because the planet Jupiter was the biggest of the planets, the Roman god Jupiter was believed to be the king of all the gods. He was the Roman equivalent of the Greek god who? Zeus, who was the king of all the Greek gods. So, once again, if you're going to name your rock after a god, you're not going to name it Cupid. I asked the internet, what's the weakest god? And they said, Cupid. He was, he's usually described as a, a babyish-looking boy with a bow and an arrow and terrible aim. <laughs> so if you're... Unlucky in love, as the saying goes, you know who to blame. But there's another reason that they decided to claim that their image fell down from Jupiter. According to Greek mythology, the Roman god Jupiter had a daughter named, anybody want to guess? Diana! So, when when this rock fell in Ephesus, some religious genius in Ephesus thought to himself, hmm, all of Asia worships Diana. So if we claim that Diana's old man, Jupiter, picked our city to send this rock down to, we can say that that was Jupiter's way of saying Ephesus should be the headquarters of Diana worship throughout the world. Now, I can't prove that, but I've never heard a better explanation as to why the world of worshipers of Diana picked Ephesus to build that that magnificent temple. And that explanation would also explain what the town clerk says in the next verse back in your Bible now, in verse 36. 
He said, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. The thing that he's saying nobody could speak against, the thing that he's saying that nobody could argue, is that Ephesus was the headquarters of Diana worship. And the reason it couldn't be uh, spoken against, the reason nobody could argue with that point is because they had that rock. I mean, no matter what you believe, somebody can always speak against it, right? But as long as they could point to that rock, nobody in that superstitious world back there could deny that Ephesus was the place to go if you wanted to worship Diana. And then in verse 36, when when the town clerk said they shouldn't do anything rash, I think he's telling them they shouldn't kill anybody. And he tells them why in, in verse 37. After saying, he says, don't do anything rash, he says, for the reason you shouldn't do anything rash, for you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Now what he's doing here is reminding that angry mob that Paul and his co-workers might be ticking them off, but they hadn't broken any laws, any laws of the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was governed by the laws of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, you couldn't go around executing men like they were fixing to do just because they kicked you off (laughs) by worshiping another god. Rome was tolerant of all the religions of, of all the nations they conquered and they insisted that everybody else in their empire be tolerant of those other religions as well. And judging from what the town clerk says there, the only reasons Rome would allow a man to be executed for his religion is if he robbed some other religion's church, number one, or number two, blaspheme some other religion's God. So I want to talk about those two things one at a time. First, when he says that Paul and his helpers are neither robbers of churches. I don't think he meant that robbing another church's money was enough to get you executed. I think the town clerk was talking about robbing a church of their idol, of their God. Because that was a crime that was punishable by death going all the way back to the first book of the Bible in your next reference in the book of Genesis. Do you remember when Jacob's wife stole her father's gods and uh, didn't tell Jacob about it? (laughs) 
When her father caught up to Jacob, look what Jacob said to him in Genesis 31, 32. He said, With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, whoever took your gods, let him not live. So evidently stealing gods had always been a capital offense. And evidently it was punishable by death in Rome as well here. Now, the other thing the town clerk said would get you executed in Rome was if you blasphemed somebody else's God, the God of another religion. That's, that's why when some unsaved Jews wanted to kill Stephen, Look what they charged him with in Acts 6, 11 and 13. They said, we have heard him speak blasphemy. Blasphemous words against God and against this holy place, the temple, and the law of Moses. If you blasphemed any of those things, he says, you're blaspheming God. Those Jews evidently knew that Rome would let them kill Stephen if they charged him with blasphemy. And looks like it worked because they killed him. And as far as the scripture goes, Rome didn't do a thing. So later on, when the Jews wanted to kill Paul, they charged him with the same thing in Acts 25, 7 and 8. They charged him with blasphemy. The Jews laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And we know what they charged him with because of what Paul denied. He answered, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple have I offended anything at all. He didn't speak blasphemous words against their law, and he didn't speak blasphemous words against their holy place either, their temple. So, blasphemy and robbing churches seem to be the only reasons you could execute a man under Roman law. So now we have to ask how the town clerk knew that Paul hadn't broken either one of those laws. How did he know that Paul wasn't a robber of churches? <laughs> well, he knew that Paul hadn't robbed their church because that rock was still there. And the, the, the idol that the, the, they made with their hands, the statue of Diana in the temple, was still there too. And the town clerk knew that Paul hadn't robbed any other churches because he's been in Ephesus for three years now, teaching daily in the school of Tyrannus. Didn't we see that last week? So he wasn't out robbing anybody else's churches either. But what about the second charge? How could the town clerk say that Paul wasn't a blasphemer of their goddess? Didn't we just hear Demetrius... Up in verse 26, say that Paul was running around Asians saying that there be no gods which are made with hands. Well, yeah, he was. But you know, here's the thing about that. 
He never said Diana is not a god. He was never stupid enough to, to single her out and, and blaspheme her in particular. And it must not have been against the law to say that there be no gods that are made with hands. Because that's what Paul said in Athens. And it didn't get him executed there. Look at your next reference. In Acts 17.29, when he's on Mars Hill in Athens, he said, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we're living, breathing people, we ought not to think that God is not a living, breathing being. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like to gold or silver or stone graven by art and the device of man's hands. Paul told the Athenians there's no gods made with hands, but the town clerk didn't arrest him at that time for it. You remember when we, when we studied that passage, we saw that Athens had 30,000 idols sprinkled throughout the city. And your apostle was never dumb enough to say, you know, you idiots over here that, that worship that rock, you're all wrong. And you other idiots over there that worship that rock, you're wrong too. All he said was the true God isn't a rock. And that must not have met the standard of blasphemy of another, of another religion's God or Paul would be pushing up daisies by now. So the bottom line is the town clerk here is telling this mob if, if they executed men who had not broken the law uh, of Rome, they'd be breaking the law. And that put the fear of God in them, the fear of Rome in them anyway. <laughs> and, and the laws of Rome, listen, the laws of Rome were the only thing that this town clerk cared about. And I can show we can prove that. Let, let me read verse 37 again and point out what he didn't say. He, he, first of all, we'll see what he for, for ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of our goddess. Is that what he says? No, your goddess. He didn't listen. He didn't have a horse in this race. He didn't have a dog in this fight. In other words, he didn't give a hoot if Paul's God was God or if Diana was God. That explains how he was able to stay so cool and calm and collected as he's giving this speech to this murderous mob. All he wanted was to keep the peace. Okay, now that he's talked them out of doing anything rash like killing the apostles, he goes on to remind them in the next few verses that they lived in a civilized society where there were legal ways to settle your differences. Let's read from verse 38 right on down to the end of our text. He says, Wherefore? If Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him 
have a matter against any man, the law is open. There are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There be no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. He's saying, since you guys don't have just cause to execute Paul, if you do execute Paul, there's going to be an inquiry. And look at verse 40 again. Look what he says about that inquiry. He says, we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar because uh, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. You see, folks, the town clerk, he may not have had a horse in that race, but if he let a riotous mob commit murder on his watch he'd have to share in their punishment for not keeping the peace, because that's his job. That's just how the law of Rome worked. So to keep the peace, he said in verse 38, the law is open. Our courts aren't closed today because of St. Patrick's Day. There's deputies who aren't drunk on green beer. Everything's flowing in the justice system here in Ephesus. And don't forget what deputies are. Deputies were the ones who heard court cases, like the judges in our own day. Look at your next reference in Acts 18, 12, and 13. When Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, This Paul fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. So, the town clerk here is telling these silversmiths, if you think you have a legal case against Paul, there's better ways to silence him than letting him stretch a rope. Take him to court! Take him to see one of these deputies. And then, in verse 39 here in our text, when he says, but if you inquire anything concerning other matters, he meant other matters that had nothing to do with the laws of Rome, like whose God is God? What did Gallio tell those Jews about that? In your next reference, in Acts 18.14, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. I'd hear you out. But if it be a question of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. 
So here, the town clerk is telling the Ephesians if all they wanted to argue about was stuff like that, whose God is God, then they needed to sit down in a lawful assembly, like a a community center, or, or like Paul did in Athens on Mars Hill. That was a place where men got together to discuss gods and stuff that had nothing to do with the Roman law. But a theater full of 25,000 people screaming for Paul's blood was an unlawful assembly. So they needed to pipe down and go home. Or there was going to be consequences. Serious consequences. Now, in closing, i got to point out a comparison between what happened here and something that's going to happen in the tribulation after God destroys the city of Babylon. Because the city of Babylon is going to be a real, live city, actual city like Ephesus, but it's going to be a city that will be home to the religious system of the Antichrist. And take a look at how it's described and what God says about it in Revelation 18, 10-18. Yeah, it's a big reference, but they're, they're big letters. <laughs> alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Why? For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. You know, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and the souls of men. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off weeping and wailing when they saw the smoke of her torment. Do you see any comparisons there to what happened in Ephesus? The silversmiths in Ephesus were merchants who who sold silver shrines to Diana, to the worshippers worshippers of Diana throughout the world, right? And Babylon. Babylon's going to sell shrines to the Antichrist to his worshippers throughout the world and other religious stuff, evidently. Those shrines in Ephesus, they were making their merchants rich. And as you just read, the merchandise in Babylon is going to make their merchants rich. And some of that merchandise is going to be made of silver like the silver shrines in Ephesus. And we saw last week that the merchandise of Ephesus affected the souls of men because men took those shrines home and worshipped them. Just like the merchandise of Babylon is going to affect the souls of men. Because people are going to worship that stuff too. You know, Peter wrote to Jews who are going to be living in that day 
And look what he says in 2 Peter 2, 1 and 3. There shall be false teachers among you who through covetousness, sound like people in Ephesus, sound like the craftsmen there, shall make merchandise of you. Evidently the beast is going to traffic in the souls of men in lots of ways there. And here's the thing. Do you know where Peter was when he wrote that? Look at your last reference. The church that is at Babylon saluteth you all. Isn't that interesting? Here's another comparison. The merchants of Babylon were wailing because nobody was going to buy their merchandise after Babylon was destroyed. And the merchants of Ephesus were afraid that no one would buy their merchandise anymore if Paul put them out of business. And you know their fears were justified, right? Because nobody worships Diana anymore. <laughs> but Paul's message of grace has permeated the earth. And you know what? That's been God's plan from the very beginning. To put the devil out of business. But you know what? That is where the comparisons end, folks. Because the way God's going to put the devil out of business in Babylon is going to be 180 degrees opposite of the way he did it in Ephesus. God's going to put Babylon out of business with the total annihilation of the city. He's going to burn it to the ground. He put Ephesus out of business by grace. And preaching grace is the only way to put the devil out of business in the dispensation of grace. Abortion's still legal in Illinois, folks. But if you want to put abortion clinics out of business, don't burn them. Don't bomb them like some Christians have done. That's a dispensational error. That's what God's going to do in the millennial kingdom if he finds a, an abortion clinic. That is not what he wants done now. If you want to put them out of business, preach grace. And if you want to fix what's wrong with the government, don't go bombing federal buildings like my buddy Terry Mickles did in 1995 in Oklahoma City. Instead, do what he's doing now. Now that he's saved and read all of our literature at Berean Bible Society, now that he's a grace believer, he's preaching grace, just like Paul did, and leaving the rest of the Lord. That's what we need to do as well. Because doing anything else in the dispensation of grace is a dispensational error. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our government, for our peacekeepers, for the town clerks, the police, and all the other ones in our society who keep our freedoms alive, who keep us alive. Because, Father, we know without them, the devil would have no problem. 
executing us just like he'd have had no problem executing Paul without the government of Rome. Father, we thank you for your greatness and all the ways you can use to, to bring about your will. And we pray, Father, that we might show the courage that Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus and all of his other buddies showed as we leave this place. And we pray it in the Savior's name. Amen.